Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. This week, we talked about friendships. We continue our conversation from last week talking about friendship struggles mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of startup struggles, friendship struggles and kind of what that means for each of us. And then James shares a little bit about how his expectations and friendships are rooted from his past in middle school and high school and his struggles through that period of his life. And we walk our way back to how everything kind of ties into how we should be able to adapt our expectations today based on the path we are on personally, not the path that other people are on. And we uh, briefly talk about the five love languages. That's right. You get to hear what mine is and what Sean is. Yeah. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another week of Startup Struggles. My name is James Park, and virtually across from me is no other than Sean Lee, who is the founder of Clever.fm. And if you haven't already, please download it, check out the app, give us a little comment on this episode, give us some feedback, let us know what you think. That's right. Yeah, you can comment, right? I forgot about that. We just pushed out a new release. As you're listening to this podcast, if you listen to it on the Clever app, search for Clever FM and Android or Apple, you can actually leave us comments. Yeah. They're timestamped. So we can respond to you directly to your comments or thoughts. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we've never promoted that before. <laughs> As Sean described it, it is the YouTube of audio. Mm-hmm. So you can search for specific episodes on specific clever enabled podcast shows. And luckily, Startup Struggles is clever enabled. And yeah, you can leave direct comments to exactly of what we're talking about. And we'll know what you're talking about in the comment. It's pretty sweet. So check it out. Yeah. Yeah. And last week, we mentioned that we we're going to talk about friendship a little bit this week, right? Mm-hmm. Struggles with friendships. Definitely. Because as time goes on, everyone evolves, right? And I think something that makes friendships hard is actually our own evolution, right? And we expect our friendships to stay the same, but that can't happen. And actually, this kind of relates to if you're married or have a significant other or a very long-term relationship, you'll see that everyone evolves. Who you got to know 10 years ago, five years ago, are not who they are today. And in the same way, you are not who you are five years ago. And so that's one of the difficulties of what makes relationships, friendships. It could actually create some difficulties because you want it to stay the same, but it is evolving, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And our expectations of other people are expectations that may be five years old. Right. Because even our expectations of ourselves have changed, but we haven't realized that we should change our expectations of others. You actually made me think of something that I read a month ago. And I think it's a pretty old study, but it was a study that basically said that people who got married before, I think it was 25 or 27, had higher divorce rates. And part of the reason was because 
you're definitely still mm-hmm. evolving and changing in your 20s, right? In your early and mid 20s. And you don't really get settled or set in your ways a little bit or have like a steady personality until about like 25 or 27. After which you're still evolving, you're still changing, but not right. as drastically, not as much. And I bring that to this conversation because you just made me realize that a lot of the friendships, I'm 37, right? You're 38, right, James? 38, yep. A lot of the friendships that I'm holding on to, I've been holding on to the past couple of years in terms of my expectations of how my friends should treat me are relationships, are friendships that I established in middle school, high school, college, right? In our teens and 20s. And I haven't thought to reevaluate my relationships. I kind of just take it for granted most of the time. I think we all do that, especially with friendships from so long ago, you know, you expect or you hope maybe even that it'd be the same. But a lot of times if you have not kept in touch and we all live in different cities or whatnot and go through completely different experiences, the person can change. If you are expecting the relationship to be the same from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whenever you first met them, you're essentially projecting what you want them to be right? What you expected them to be from 10 years ago. And that's where a lot of conflict can happen because they are not who they are. And maybe that's why some relationships kind of fizzle out and die out. And some actually kind of work out because we all have like those friends that you don't ever talk. I mean, we talked about this last week. The friends that you kind of keep in touch with once or twice a year, maybe on their birthday, right? You say like, happy birthday. And they're like, oh, thanks. Like, what's going on? How are you? And you kind of chat for a half hour or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. you never hear from them again until they wish you a happy birthday like six months later, you know? Yeah, exactly. And with those, like that kind of evolves with you, right? You kind of see what they're, how they're changing, what their like life scenario is like. But there are some friends who change so drastically or have a completely different mindset or view and can no longer relate to you. With those friends, if you're on the end or like we've both been on the end where we've both been pushed out of the friendship, I guess, in a way, or just like left out. They grew, they went down a different avenue, and we couldn't be with them. And in a way, like at first, you find that very personal. It can be very hurtful because you think that they are actually ignoring you or dismissing you in a way, right? But that's how you take it. Exactly. On their end, it could just be that they just grew up in a different way, their hobbies and how their life has evolved is just a completely different path than the one that you're on. And you might not be able to understand. Right. And for them, it's not personal. It's just business. Is that like a way to say it? No, not. It's just life. I don't even think it's business. It's just life. Yeah, exactly. That makes a lot more sense. It's not business. It's just how life is and friends come and go. I think that sounds sad, right? Friends come and go. But the reality is also new friends come. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't think we would have been friends in college, not because we would hate each other, but it's just like, I think we had different interests at the time. Right. A different circle of friends. Right. And even though we did cross paths at like U of M and whatnot, it was just like, that's kind of how it was and where we are today because our paths have recrossed or have crossed. And that's awesome. Right. But I think the challenge is always sometimes we tend to hold on to things that we wish could have been, right? Mm -hmm. That aren't. 
and tying back to loving what is. We're not loving the reality, right? Right. We're not loving what is. It makes us feel sad. But the reality is, yes, paths diverge. Your interests diverge. Because when we were in high school, we all converged because for at least all the Koreans in Michigan, it was around KCF, right? And like turkey bowls and, <laughs> yeah. and whatnot. Was it KCF? No, no. KCF was at Michigan State. What was the church called? The big one was KUMC. Then there's like KPC. My church was KFBC. All the Ks. Yeah. All something something church. <laughs> yeah, all the Ks. Yeah. And then everyone just had this common identity as an Asian American or a Korean American and coalesced around that, right? Did you go to church when you were in high school? No. I went to like the Chinese, like what was it called? I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> CCF. Oh, okay, okay. Chinese Christian Fellowship. Yeah, it was in Auburn Hills. I just went occasionally because my friends were all there. Mm -hmm. Went to like camp once or twice, summer camp. I think there was like a joint thing with KUMC. I think that happened once or twice. Either way. That's probably huge. Now, I think we didn't have that diversity of interests, honestly. Everybody was like in high school. Everybody liked similar things, right? We were all drinking boba. <laughs> it was like <laughs> our pool... I think that's what it is, James. Like when we're young, like our pool of interest is very small. Sure, we have interest in different music, but we had a lot more commonalities and differences. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Early on. And as we get older, we're going to have more differences and commonalities. And so you're going to gravitate towards those small differences, those mm -hmm. niche differences. You know, we have friends that are in Hollywood, right? That are like going down that Hollywood trajectory. And that's just like, I'm not in Hollywood. You're not in Hollywood, right? <laughs> but maybe someday our paths may converge again because we're in media, right? We're kind of in the media entertainment space. And so who knows, right? Mm -hmm. I think our paths might converge again. And I have friends that went down finance, banking, right? Friends that went down consulting. And you have friends that went down like tech. And we definitely have more differences and commonalities in terms of career paths in terms of purely career paths. I think maybe in that aspect, it is very businessy. Yeah. But in terms of like hobbies, maybe there still might be similar hobbies like around snowboarding or skiing or like going to festivals. That's where I occasionally do reconnect with friends. Mm -hmm. Like I have some friends that love going to music festivals and that's the only time I fucking see them. Yeah. <laughs> is when we go to music festivals, which is totally cool. Yeah. And I think it's totally cool because we both have this understanding that like we're not trying to hold on to something, things that we're not right intersecting with. We're just going to appreciate where we do intersect. I learned that the very hard way of trying to hold on to what wasn't anymore and was told by a friend that you're projecting what used to be, but it is not anymore. Yeah. And when you first hear that, especially from someone who is like a close friend, it hurt right? It's normal. But then once you understand that, that they are changing and you yourself have changed, then it's much easier to have conversations again, because you're not trying to hold on to something that was in the past. And actually, like, even if you think about it, if you have a friend from high school or even from college, like for us, that was like 20 years ago. If you were trying to be friends, like we were friends in college, it just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, literally 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like most people in my life now, everyone is married with kids. I'm one of the very few single people that are still amongst my friend groups. And the only way that I can actually hang out with them is actually if we do things that are very family friendly. 
last week I talked about going to the aquarium with two of my friends from New York. They both had two kids. The only way that we were going to hang out was to do something family oriented, right? I think if we had it our way, we would have just gone golfing, mm -hmm. but can't. <laughs> so you go to the aquarium, which is the next best thing. Like I love aquariums. So that all worked out and I got to meet their kids. And that's just how I've accepted that being around kids and my friend's kids is how we're going to hang out all the time. And I realized that a lot of people don't understand that right away. And I probably was like that very early on, but I was lucky because another good friend of mine let me live with him for a few months when they had a newborn. And I saw very firsthand how their life was completely different. This couple was like, we're like drinking buddies in New York, go out all the time, get smashed mm -hmm. and then come home at like 3, 4 a.m. But you cannot do that anymore with a newborn. Yeah. So the way that we hung out was very different. Now it was like, I saw how they each like take turns taking care of a kid. And the only way to hang out with them is to have these interrupted conversations. I'd be talking to my friend, his name's Young. If you're talking to Young about like something and then his kid would start crying. So he would have to like leave the conversation and then like his wife Cecilia would just take over the conversation. I just like start talking to her. And I, I think at first it was like, man, I can't talk to any of these guys, but that's just how it is. And there's like another something that I was like really grateful for was a lot of my friends, kids actually know who I am now. And I feel like I never would have gotten that opportunity to watch these kids grow up without understanding that they're just there all the time. And it's like really cool. It's something different that I never would have expected. And if I was hanging on to this old idea about what our friendship should be like, then the growth stops. Our friendship just stops. Yeah, you might have missed out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's really astute. Yeah, it's all about shifting perspectives and what it is that you want. And, and maybe for some people, they're just like, you know what? I want to still continue to hang out with people that I can get smashed with at 3 a.m. Yeah. And that's totally fine too. That's why I go to festivals, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't involve the wife or the kids. But I think once or twice a year, I would love to do that post-COVID. Yeah. And then you just kind of accept that. That's when you hang out with those friends. And that's a different social circle. Yeah. Same with skiing. There's certain activities I feel like they just definitely create space, which is good too. It's healthy. I think that covers a lot in terms of the friendship side of things. Expectations and adapting. Expectations trying to like project, you might catch yourself projecting. Again, I feel like we talk about the word hindsight a lot. Like all these things come in hindsight. You realize it just as you go on. And then we just apply it to these different friends that you kind of meet. For sure. It's definitely helped me understand some of my friends better and also just accept the relationship and the friendship as what it is. Because the trouble with me projecting sometimes too is projecting what they think. So there's like what I think what the friendship should be like. Then I start worrying like maybe they think the friendship should be something else, right? And then I try to like match that, but it doesn't match. It's like, don't worry about what they can or cannot do. Just worry about yourself and what you can do as a friend. Going back to loving what is, what they do is none of your business really, Yeah, right? Like how other people treat you is not within your control. But how you can treat your friends, how you can be there for them is something within your control. And, and we did talk about this a little bit. It's like, oh, sometimes we feel like a friend is really shitty to us or has been like a shitty friend. But rarely do we ask ourselves, like, when have we been? Maybe we're a shitty friend. Right. right? Maybe we're shitty to them and that's why they're shitty to us. Yeah. 
And so then the conversation for me shifts to like, all right, how can I be a better friend? Yeah. Right. Because again, that's within my control to be a better friend, to try to be there for them when they need us. And that's the most I can do. Whether or not like they want to reciprocate, that's up to them. But I think I'm at peace. I know I'm at peace with myself when I'm a good friend to other people. And that's really all that matters, maybe. I think so. <laughs> as long as you're comfortable with what you're doing. And again, it's not about trying to expect something in return. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Yeah, you can't ever go into a relationship expecting something to happen because you do something. I think that's the problem because going back to what you were saying about business, like I think a lot of times we do treat, especially in business, we treat relationships very transactionally. Right. And maybe that influences us to think about friendships as transactional as well. Mm -hmm. And like, just because I'm like this to you, why can't you be like that to me? This maybe even goes into um, the four love languages or whatever. Oh, the, the five love languages. Is it five? Okay. Yeah. Like touch. Yeah. <laughs> affirmations and like gifts. Anyways, I think that's also it too, because you might think that because you're showing friendship in one way, you expect it back in return. Mm. Oh, I never thought about that. But maybe they don't show friendship in that way. Maybe it's very different for them. That's true. Yeah. And so if you don't know, or maybe they don't even know. Yeah. Right? What their love language is. Yeah. Yeah. And that communication kind of breaks down. And then that's how friendship starts to deteriorate is you each think you're being disrespectful to the other person because maybe you don't know, or maybe you expect something completely different. Just to recap, five love languages are words of affirmation. It's number one. Quality time. It's two. Three is physical touch. Four is acts of service. And five is receiving gifts. And supposedly, like, we all want all five of these things, obviously. But there's one that really drives your needs. For me, I know it's physical touch. Like, I, words of affirmation, it's like, cool. I don't mind it, but I don't, like, thrive off of it quality time funny enough not so much either like i appreciate it but it's not like hmm. it's not a game changer acts of service definitely yeah maybe i like doing acts of service for other people if anything <laughs> but i could care less not care less but i don't really appreciate it as much if you do something for me i just don't it's not something that resonates deeply and receiving gifts definitely no I could care less <laughs> like yeah. You said you hate surprises and hate yeah. receiving things. So for me, it is like physical touch, like a good hug, like a good bro handshake, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> just doing stuff together. That's just me. What, what about you? I'm not sure. Which two feels strongest for you? I know for me, I do the acts of servitude. Service. is like a big thing and words of affirmation. And I like giving gifts and stuff. I kind of think that like giving gifts and acts of service is like kind of mixed together in a way. One is service. One is physical. One is like goods. Oh, okay. Okay. I see the difference. But for me, like, yeah, I don't know. And maybe that's like a big reason why a lot of my relationships have been very difficult is because I don't even know what it is that really gets to me. Should we do this live right now? Take a live test? I think it's like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right, let's talk results. Do you want me to go first? Here, let me go first. I'm just confirming basically what I said. I'm 40% physical touch, 27% quality time, 20% acts of service, words of affirmation, and 0% giving gifts or receiving gifts. 
So that's still dominantly physical touch and then second quality time. And then surprisingly, actually acts of service. Yeah, in that order. What about you? Okay, for me, I am 27% receiving gifts, 23% quality time, 20% words of affirmation, 20% physical touch, and 10% acts of service. Hmm, it's very surprising to me. (laughs) I guess I like getting stuff. Maybe that's why I'm sentimental. I end up keeping a lot of things that I have like mean something to me. Yeah. And maybe that's what that is. I always wondered why I like kept things and like held on to things. And I was like, what? I want to throw this away, but for some reason it means something. <laughs> All right. So number one is receiving gifts. Number two was quality time. Quality time. Number three. Words of affirmation. Okay. Physical touch and then acts of service. But they're all like 20%. Yeah. That's interesting. I guess I need it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is something that's evolving too over time. So be interesting to have you take this like six months from now and see kind of where you are. But yeah, that's great to know. Yeah. Any listeners want to send James a gift? Please just leave a comment. And, <laughs> <laughs> we'll send you his address. Or you know what? We'll link up your uh, Amazon wish list <laughs> in the description. Thanks. Sweet. If anyone wants to annoy Sean... We'll do the same with Sean and send him stuff. Yeah, but mine's physical touch. You'd have to come here and give me a hug. That's why I said (laughs) annoy Sean. We'll do the the 0% of sending you stuff. Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. So tying this all back to kind of friendship, it'd be really interesting to see how your expectations for how friends should treat you, right? Because that's your love language versus how you potentially treat your friends and what they value. And just keeping that in mind. For anybody listening, keeping that in mind that we all have different needs yeah. and we have different love languages and different things that we appreciate. James are on the opposite spectrum. Like, if you give me a gift, I could care less. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, cool, thanks. But I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying like, literally James and I are on the opposite spectrum. I, I scored a 0% on receiving gifts. It's pretty cool that you have a dominant feature, right? Physical touch is 40%. That's pretty cool. It's like very clear. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think depending on kind of where you are in life, you might get clarity as well. Something might come up more. I think because potentially there's certain things that you're struggling through right now that's like you do have a need for a variety of things. Potentially, I'm just speculating. Gifts, quality time, and words of affirmation. Those are my top three. Words of affirmation, I think, was my number. Nope, that was number four. Quality time was number two for me as well. Acts of service was surprisingly number three. But I think part of that is I have a partner and we have a kid. Right, <laughs> so right. I remember, I don't think acts of service was that high before, but it's definitely jumped in the top three after having a kid. Oh, yeah. Actually, I, I never thought about that. Like your love language would evolve once you have a partner. Or a kid and or a kid. Yeah. And maybe like quality time like increases once you have a kid because you need more of it Mm. because you get less of it and you kind of want it more true yeah we're like acts of service you said like went up you said it was surprising and that could be true because now that's how you're showing affection by helping each other out when you are juggling a kid and a job and yeah it's true this is great yeah that's pretty cool i mean you should take it again because we kind of rushed it i'd encourage you to try it again to see what comes out Take some more time. The other thing is, how's your week? Yeah. So briefly, before the episode started, we talked about how my week was actually pretty bad. I just really struggled this week. Had a lot of negative thoughts, 
struggled to get out of bed. I mean, most days I, getting out of bed has always been a struggle, but yeah, just a lot of negative thoughts. I don't know where it comes from. I don't want to say that it's normal, but it's very normal for me. Not that that's a good thing. I actually talked to my mom a little bit about this, and she told me that she could remember as early as like middle school, high school, when I was turning very negative. Yeah. I hated high school a lot. I hated middle school too. It was surprising and very eye-opening when she said that. Yeah. And it made me kind of relieved because for a long time, I really thought that like something was wrong with me. Yeah. Like being in this dark place all the time, like something's wrong. Like I'm a fucked up person. Yeah. But when she said it was like early age and, and she like recognized that very early on, I was relieved because maybe this is something that my subconscious is, has gotten used to over time. Mm-hmm. And when I say that it's normal, I say it in a way that it's okay. And I know that this is something that has been part of me for a long time. And so to get out of this place, it will also take tremendous effort to change the way that I I think. And it's not going to happen overnight. And I keep expecting it to happen overnight. But I have to think about, in hindsight, again, where I was a year ago. Yeah. I would say a year ago, it was really bad. Yeah. Do you mind sharing, like, what were you negative about in high school, middle school? I just hated going to school. School was really hard. Why is that? My theory is this. I had moved just then to go to a new middle school. Mm-hmm. And the elementary school was across the street from the middle school. Mm. So if you imagine all these kids who have grown up together, or at least like had friends, a friend group, right? They go to middle school, a very new place, but they have their group of friends already. And for me, I had moved already at that point, I had moved four times. I had gone to four different elementary schools Mm -hmm. and going to a very new place was like knowing no one. And I had these like ridiculous glasses too. So I looked like a very typical kind of Asian nerd, I guess you could say. And it was not easy going to a new place. It was also the first time that I experienced racism. Like I had to find out what it meant to be a chink. I remember like being bullied often in the bathroom. Like I couldn't go to the bathroom because I would be bullied in the bathroom. Like how so like shoved around or? Yeah, pushed around. No one ever like stuck my head in a toilet and gave me a swirly, thank God. But this is in Troy? Where was this? In uh, Bolin Park, Bolin Park Middle School. So I was like afraid to go to the bathroom during, what's it called? Like in between periods, like when you're switching classes. So I was afraid to go to the restroom then. So I would go during class, but then some teachers don't allow you to go during class. And so it was just really hard. And I think I really became closed off in middle school and high school. And like, it just wasn't easy. I hated going to school. And like, it's funny because Koreans also bullied me a lot, like more so than other races, actually. It's kind of weird and struggling to try to fit in. And that's when like everyone goes through changes. You're trying to find this identity. You're trying to find out who you are. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. I did not like it at all. Waking up and going to school was just dreadful. I hated it. Was there anything that you liked about school? I mean, you clearly did well enough in school. You got into a good university and made your parents proud. And (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. It's when I got accepted to University of Michigan, 
So it was February 14th, Valentine's Day. Yeah. Year 2000, 2000, 2001. 2002, probably. Had been 2001, 2002. Yeah. I graduated in 03. I graduated in 01. Oh, you graduated in 01. Oh. I graduated in 01. So I got accepted February 14th, 2001. And I remember that day clearly because I was not expecting to get in. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like an act of God. And that's when I believed. I was like, oh, man, there really must be a God. Because <laughs> my parents probably prayed so much, like, please let our son get into school. It's oh, so funny. But, you know, it's also very weird because I have very little memories of middle school and high school. I really think it's a mental block that I've put on myself because I just hated that time so much. Did you play sports? No, not really. I ran track freshman, sophomore year, made varsity sophomore year, and then just didn't do it again junior year. What'd you do in your pastime other than be studious? Just kidding. Play Counter-Strike and StarCraft. Yeah. Who'd you play with? Steve, Andy, Hyung, those guys. That's hilarious. So to say that, I think I hated going to school. I didn't hate my entire time when I was in middle school or high school. I just hated being at the school. Outside was fine, to make that clear. You went to Troy High? I went to Troy High, yeah. That's a world I, I will never understand because I never experienced. I went to going to IA with your brother, like with Eric. Such a small school. There's like 400, population 400, right? It's like every class is 110, I think. It's tiny. So yeah, that was something that, it's funny. Like I always kind of wish I went to a bigger high school. I mean, I ended up going to Michigan State, which is like a massive university. But still, like that's something that, I think I dodged definitely was bullying. And it's interesting to talk about moving around. I moved around a lot too as a kid because my parents kept moving like different apartments, our family. And then they would redraw like the school district lines, right? Like even though you live in the same place, like next year they would just redraw the district line. You would be going to a different school. Oh, So yeah, I went to like three or four different schools, elementary schools and the middle schools I switched to halfway through. But I'm trying to think of like how I experience I went through it. And yeah, I don't know how I did it. I think the key thing is I wasn't bullied. I didn't feel bullied. I did feel like left out. Like growing up in Rochester, we definitely had a smaller Asian population. And so definitely all my crushes were like blonde girls. And I was, <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I'm just a nerdy Asian kid. Right. Yeah. And I felt a little left out. It's like ask girls to the dance and get rejected. But yeah, that was probably the most traumatizing thing <laughs> for me. But I can't imagine being bullied at like a larger school. So were you bullied in high school too? Not physically. That was more like verbal. Hmm. Still being called like racist terms and I'm not going to say the word, but... That's a little shocking. I mean, I'm not surprised either, but... I don't know how to take it. It's weird to actually like talk about it. Not that there's tons of listeners there who actually know who I am. And like I don't talk about this kind of stuff openly. It's very, I don't know what the word is. It's very... Uh, traumatic? Yeah, traumatic. It's really personal. Hmm. Sometimes I still am embarrassed that I put myself into that position. Like, why didn't I fight back? I should have fought back or I should have done something. The thing that speaks out to me the most is I should have fought back, but I was scared. Right. And I wanted to try to fit in. But by trying to fit in, I became someone who I wasn't. And like trying to be cool or trying to be whatever, like trying to fit in, you're just, you're trying to adapt your identity. But 
it's funny. It's when I started to not care as much that things became a lot easier. I mean, it wasn't throughout all of high school. It was like very early in high school, maybe. But my senior year, by that point, though, I was so withdrawn from school. Like I was really quiet. I slept through class. Like I tried not to talk to anybody. I had some friends, right? And I did talk to people, but I was very, uh, when I think back about it, I was like very distant. I didn't really try. For some reason, I didn't think that I would ever talk to anyone from high school ever again. Like I wanted to disassociate myself from that time so much that I was willing to not even be friends with anyone there ever again. That's crazy. It's strange. For those who are listening, I'm not saying like, I wasn't like constantly like beat up physically or like this wasn't happening every single day. It was just enough where and it happened early enough and frequently enough where I started to have a defense against this. The defense was just retreating into my shell and being as small as possible and not noticed. Yeah. I think that was like a big thing that I kind of went through. I'm saying it's like shocking because I didn't expect that from Troy of all plays. Like Troy has such a huge Asian population that I didn't think this kind of stuff happened, but it did. Yeah. I always thought Troy Athens was a little bit more rough around the edges. I think it's also because of like, we remember things very differently, right? And I bet you that a lot of people don't even remember that this kind of stuff would have happened. But I think for me, it was just so traumatizing. It's like the only things I remember about. Like you just said, you asked me, what were the good parts of high school? And I couldn't tell you, I'm sure there were, but I can't tell you because I just don't have a very good memory of being at that school. I just hated that place so much. Wow. And maybe I even brought it on myself in a way because I was so quiet and so like defensive. Maybe at that point, I became a very easy target. And I also think that, and this sucks, but I think this is true. Once you are the victim, primary victim, yeah. especially early on in like middle school, everyone kind of has to, in order to fit in, you kind of have to join in to that other crowd, right? Yeah. Like no one wants to stick up for the victim very early on because if you do, then you'll be identified with them. Right. And I think I just happened to be a victim because I was new. Yeah. I was Asian. and didn't know how to stand up for myself. And I think that's just a social behavior that I don't blame anyone. I mean, some of the guys that picked on me, I'm friends with them now. And I bet you they don't even remember doing this kind of stuff to me. Yeah. Because for them, it was just like, it just wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And it's just really weird because like talking to them now and talking to them like in like college or like after like 10, 20 years, everything's fine. Right. Yeah. And wait, how do we come to this topic? Oh. The negativity. Yeah, why I think so negatively all the time and how it's become a part of me. And like, I recognize this in myself a lot. It's like when I become very negative, the response is I shrink. And I think that's very normal for what people do is when they feel depressed or they feel bad about themselves, your body posture really just changes. Your shoulders slouch, you're looking down. You try to make yourself very, very small and very defensive and for me, when I think about that, it reminds me of going to middle school and high school. Tying this all back to like probably one of our earlier conversations, probably episode number one, you see me like I come from a completely different perspective, right? Like I came across you and your name like in college because we had mutual friends. 
And like you, you seem like that cool upperclassman guy that like <laughs> all the girls knew and like all the girls liked. Is that crazy? Like that's the other perspective. We wouldn't know that until somebody like me shows up and tells you that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just like I would have never known that about your your past. And that's how I think of you. Like that's how <laughs> I perceive you. Like the girls I was hanging out with, like yeah, James Park, the guy's so cool. Like. But that's kind of the reality of things is that going back to loving what is like, there's a story that we taught ourselves and then there's kind of like the reality of things as well. I haven't been as diligent about practicing inquiry lately, but first question that came to mind is like, is it true that we shouldn't be negative? Like I had to ask myself that as you were saying, that. I was like, I'm kind of negative a lot in my head. Yeah. But then just being able to hear from your perspective made me question like, is this such a bad thing? Like, is it true that this is like, bad and I was like no it's not true and I started thinking like what if this is like a superpower right but we're just not using it correctly because most people don't have that self-awareness to be critical of themselves they're not critical at all and they just don't push themselves to improve and we're kind of on the opposite ends like we're too critical of ourselves so a big thing that I'm learning or just something that I'm beginning to understand is you hear about how people say to watch your thoughts like your thoughts are not you. Just because you think them does not mean that that's who you are. Hmm. And in a way to distance yourself from the thoughts, you're supposed to become the watcher or an observer of your thoughts, right? I always like try to do that. And so like what we just said about, is it true that we shouldn't be negative? And you're right. It's not true. We can be negative. In fact, it's part of life. It's going to happen. It won't ever go away. But the mm -hmm. big thing about being negative or positive or whichever, but understanding your thoughts is that there's no judgment behind it. You're not supposed to judge yourself. When you're talking about like, we're so critical, it reminded me of that. It's like being negative is not a totally bad thing. It is in a way we can be very, use it as a skill, right? You're always going to be being negative is a kind of like always trying to get to the best. It's almost like perfectionism in, in a certain way. You want it to be the best. And you're always going to be criticizing yourself. But the way to not fall into that and be completely just taken over about negativity is actually to not be judgmental of it. I think that's what a lot of people struggle with is that they are aware of the negativity and they let it consume them because they're judging themselves from being like, I shouldn't be like this. And so it creates some kind of feedback loop that's not positive at all by judging yourself constantly. A downward spiral. Yeah. I heard one of our mentor calls this morning. One of the core values of their company was spiral up. Hmm. I like that. You should Google it. I need to Google it. It's really weird, but it's this whole idea that everything spirals down, but it's like, why can't you spiral up? And how do you spiral up as a company, as an individual? Well, thank you so much for sharing, James. It's part of your past. It has in some ways defined who you are, but we always have to remember like it doesn't have to continue defining us. You could project yourself as the cool kid that Sean saw you as in college, <laughs> right? Like you could take on that story just, just as easily, right? And just like, well, I became cool and that's who I choose to be. I'm not going to be this bullied middle schooler anymore. You know, what's funny about that story is like, I think it happened by accident. That's the weird thing about trying to be someone, trying to be cool, trying to fit in. If you're just going about your day, living your own life, it kind of happens in default in a way, right? When you are living true to yourself and just doing what you want to do, that in itself becomes cool. 
I think so. And I think you attract the right people. Instead of like trying to attract the people you actually don't want to be around with, you attract the people that want to be around you, what your interests are, what you care about, your path coming full circle right? Yeah. to this is maybe that's why it's so painful when our friends that we thought were friends have gone down a different path because maybe like it's our own desire to like want to be like them maybe. Oh, yeah. Like when one of my friends becomes famous, I'm like, dude, I want, why can't I be like that? I want to be famous with you, right? It's like, <laughs> no, just walk your own fucking path. Like I can't walk this path. Like I'm going to be miserable about it. If I walk my own path, I'm going to attract the, the right people to me and, yeah. and have a good support system. And you become famous in your own right. I mean, this sounds weird, but you just become who you're meant to be. And that in itself, once you start walking that path, it's just, that's awesome, right? It's those people who are just minding their own business, doing what they want to do and living a life that generates the kind of energy that they need to stay on that path. Like that's inspiring. Yeah. Maybe that's a conversation we continue on next week is what kind of path do we want for ourselves? We can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, let's do it. Sounds good. Thanks everyone for listening. And I have no follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll continue the conversation next week. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week. 